we need to focus on things like social stewardship for uh, marginalized people and, and those who are often excluded from the economic systems, uh, environmental sustainability, uh, especially where it feeds back into uh, impacting the lives and livelihoods of, of people. Uh, and it always ends up being the uh, most excluded populations that bear the brunt um, of things like climate change that they had they get least benefit from um, the process of creating the problems. Hello and welcome. I'm Shiza Shah, your host of Reinvision Business and co-founder of Up Effects, a crowdfunding platform resourcing organizations shaping a benevolent economy inspired by justice and ethics. If you're new to our work, over the last decade, our team has enjoyed spotlighting organizations at the forefront of advancing financial equity, conservation, and economic empowerment. We're now deepening this work through our Reinvision Business podcast to dive deeper into what models are working and shaping the next economy. This series will highlight the emerging need for responsible trade that uplifts communities frequently left behind. In each episode, we'll invite thought leaders to deconstruct our current systems, and with their help, we'll amplify models that are re-envisioning business. Together, we'll unearth a blueprint for an economy redesign. Today, I'm joined by Blake Good. CEO of the RFI Foundation, catalyzing the adoption of responsible finance in Islamic markets. Blake has more than 15 years of experience researching Islamic finance and working in a compliance and investment officer role in the finance industry. His published research covers a variety of topics, including incorporating environmental, social and governance, social finance and fintech, addressing climate change and public finance. He received his Bachelor of Arts in Economics from Reed College in 2003. In this conversation, we discuss how RFI is encouraging organizations to support equitable, inclusive, and sustainable economic development, in particular with a focus on responsible and ESG investing. Hi, welcome to Reinvision Business, Blake. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for inviting me on. Blake, I I always really enjoy starting these conversations from the beginning to really understand what draws people towards building and growing socially responsible businesses. And I'm just curious to understand what were those collection of moments in your own personal journey that led you to join RFI Foundation and inspired your interest in connecting responsible and Islamic finance markets? Well, it goes. I think it goes back to when I first learned about uh, Islamic finance, which is now 15 years ago. And one of the things that really attracted me to it, uh, just starting out, was the the similarities that it had with socially responsible investing. And taking even a little bit broader of a of a view, not just uh, excluding certain investments, but looking at investments and at banking and at insurance. And just being more comprehensive uh, and systemic about the approach to to finance, that really sparked my interest uh, to continue to learn more. Um, And my journey really focused down the Islamic finance uh, path then uh, from from that point on. um, Started more informally after learning about Islamic finance, I started writing a, a blog. Um, 
about Islamic finance and what was happening across the industry, uh, eventually transitioned that into a position working with Thomson Reuters, leading the Islamic finance gateway community. Uh, and that's really, I think, the path that led me ultimately to to join RFI uh, was so through What was the gateway that. community about? Uh, the gateway community is, uh, was an online community of uh, thousands of professionals uh, active and uh, interested in Islamic finance uh, that, that Thomson Reuters uh, ran and they had events. Uh, and so that was, that was a big uh, sort of expansion in terms of the types of people that I was interacting with uh, becoming more, more international. Uh, I writing a blog was, it was still international that uh, connected me with a lot of the, actually a lot of the people I still, still know and uh, engage with today. Uh, I first interacted with as a result of just putting out, putting out my thoughts uh, on, on my blog. Um, but the work at Thomson Reuters with the gateway community really, I think, extended that even further. Uh, and so when I was asked uh, and invited to, in the sort of formulation around RFI's uh, mission, uh, it was kind of a return back to that original interest of what really attracted me to Islamic finance was the social responsibility angle and how it fit and integrated and broadened in some ways um, socially responsible investing yeah i mean there's so much overlap between the two a lot of the the values that make the foundation of socially responsible investing and then islamic finance are just so aligned um it just makes perfect sense to bring those two markets together um so it's really interesting to see how rfi is playing a role in in marrying up those two in the way that it is i know that you know, one of the most defining economic events in recent history was the 2008 crash. And the great financial crisis uh, sparked a wave of sustainable growth and development in so many ways. I would love to understand your thoughts on how that has impacted the work that has evolved at RFI Foundation. The financial crisis was interesting because it has so many ties into things that are important for Islamic finance, but it it in itself was almost uh, somewhat of a missed opportunity. Uh, it seems like a you know, debt-fueled uh, crisis driven on by speculative products that don't have a whole lot of ties to the underlying economy or to uh, any useful purpose. Uh, that causing uh, a crisis that had global, uh, global impact should be something that would be perfect opportunity for Islamic finance to to step in and say, maybe there's a better way. Uh, and I think we saw some of that with some of the the protest signs at uh, Occupy Wall Street. Uh, I, I know there was one that was distributed pretty widely that said, like, why, why aren't we all uh, banking the Islamic way? There were articles, opinion pieces from the Vatican uh, pointing out the, the value proposition of Islamic finance and Maybe that's something that we should start thinking about those those principles, uh, but it it that didn't necessarily translate into a wholesale change in the conventional finance space. But it did really. There was still a transformation that happened at that point that led to a lot more focus beyond just the 
dollars and cents of, of financial transactions uh, and started thinking about what is the what is the ultimate purpose. Uh, and I think that manifested itself mostly in the growth of the environmental, social, and governance uh, (ESG) uh, approach, which had had been developed prior to the crisis, but didn't really uh, catch on uh, in a huge way until after the financial crisis. And I think it was that going back, trying to figure out what is what is the purpose of what we're doing here uh, in finance? Is it to enrich ourselves, uh, or is it to facilitate uh, some economic uh, activity that has some environmental social purpose and is done in a good way with solid governance. And I think that would, that ended up being the biggest outcome from the financial crisis rather than something directly Islamic finance uh, specific. Uh, and I think there, there's some, there's definitely some, some reasons that go back quite a ways about why Islamic finance wasn't, as able to to capture uh, that, I guess, search for an alternative at the time of the financial crisis, uh, and I think it really there's it's hard to disentangle um, all the all the factors, but it really comes down to Islamic finance is dependent on the the regulations around banking uh, because that's the model that was adopted because that was the biggest way to expand the industry, which is because the way that our financial system is, is set up is that uh, the money creation process goes through banks. And so if you want to expand and grow fast, uh, then the banking model makes a lot more sense than trying to reallocate funds uh, from savers to uh, to users of capital through an investment house model, which was uh, kind of the, the other option. Uh, at the time that Islamic finance was getting going. Uh, and so the dependence on the banking model significantly constricts the ability and the, the possibilities for Islamic finance to, to change rapidly until the regulations that they're subject to are changing. And so I think at the time of the financial crisis, there was still a lot of work to fit within those uh, those regulations. There were still a lot of unsolved problems just on uh, basic needs uh, in terms of integrating with a conventionally oriented regulatory system. So Islamic finance wasn't really able to, to capitalize on the search for something something new and alternative. Um, but I think in a, in a way that there's, there's still, there's a benefit that we're seeing, I think, now that comes out of some of the financial crisis change of mindset uh, because Islamic finance being tied into the global financial system uh, means that when the global financial system starts opening up room for uh, opportunities to, to change, uh, especially when that starts filtering down through the investment sector and into the banking and insurance, that Islamic finance has a, a strong motivation to want to to make uh, to make a change, and I think that's what we're seeing now. That we're seeing climate risk, ESG risks move more into the more into the being baked into the regulations. Uh, it's opening up a lot of opportunities for Islamic finance to to contribute to 
shaping a new new vision for the financial sector of the future. And and how do you imagine RFI playing a role in helping maintain that interest in the Islamic finance space um, and ensuring that they continue to work within or work in partnership with financiers or within the ethical finance space where they're pretty much centered on inclusive and sustainable economic development because that has been a piece like you've just mentioned, largely missing from the banking sector, which is what the Islamic finance spent most of its resources building around. The work that RFI is focused on is, is has been transforming a lot over the past couple of years because uh, the places where Islamic finance is most significant tend to be emerging markets, tend, tend to be banking-dominated markets. Uh, and it really hasn't it hasn't been at the top of the priority list uh, for for banks or companies uh, in those uh, countries uh, to to look at environmental social and governance issues but now that that's changing and changing really rapidly and I think the the covid nineteen pandemic really changed accelerated the what was already starting to to happen on its own uh, it really pushed all of the discussions into fast into a faster speed um, but there's always a question when there's trade-offs or uh, balancing between environmental social and economic uh, objectives of what's the one that really has to be fulfilled uh, above above the others. What's the what's the main priority? Um, and I think for conventional financial institutions, conventional investors, it's clear that if the if push comes to shove, uh, economic wins out uh, over environmental and social uh, issues. Some of that that that's not as easy a, a trade off as it as it sounds because. Environmental and social issues today affect economic outcomes and opportunities tomorrow and in the future. Uh, but by and large, there's not a there's not a higher motivation for most businesses or financial institutions than being viable com- commercial uh, institutions. Uh, and Islamic finance is is not coming from that perspective. It's it is coming from creating commercial institutions uh, to achieve economic objectives and subjects it to the constraints in the in the short term on uh, Sharia principles. Um, it has to fulfill Sharia principles of minimum, minimum Sharia uh, standards to operate and maintain credibility. But then there's also a, a longer term purpose of what What's the goal here? It's not just to be commercial, a commercial institution. The commercial institution is the means to the end, uh, and the end is described uh, in terms of the Makassar al-Sharia, uh, and that aligns much close, much more closely uh, than has been translated so much uh, into widespread practice so far uh, around environmental and social uh, issues that 
are now moving to the top of the agenda. And so I think that's where we're at a very interesting transition point um, where credibility is of credibility of motivation is going to be more and more important. Uh, it's going to drive how, how much people uh, compare one to the other. Uh, there's data is not so much. It's the constraint right now because there's not the data that we'd like to have, but the data separating out the data used for to achieve something positive environmental or socially uh, or inclusive uh, economic development is really hard to it's hard to tell what is uh, what is sincere and what is jumping on this trend of a growing market with investors that have trillions of dollars and that's where I think Islamic finance can differentiate itself because there is there there is and always has been uh, a motivation beyond the commercial uh, in inspiring its activity. The commercial is the means to to an end, not the end in itself. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the goals of the Islamic economy is to distribute wealth and to ensure that those that are part of that community and part of society are able to access the same economic opportunities that those that previously are afforded due to their wealth status. And so it's probably a difficult question, but given that, you know, impact investing is largely underpinned by a capitalistic economic framework, and that has resulted in wealth inequalities, and that has resulted in creating a system where the divide between the rich and the poor has just been getting bigger and bigger. Whereas Islamic finance is governed by its own economic framework, which focuses on maximizing economic opportunities for all and then shifting wealth to the workforce. What has it been like navigating these challenges and, and trying to marry up these two sectors? What has your experience been like navigating that? I think what, what's been interesting to see in the transition uh, of how Islamic finance has developed over the last 15 years that I've been involved uh, is that for a lot of that time period, there was aspirations to higher objectives that were having to be channeled almost exclusively through the primarily commercially oriented elements within Islamic finance. Um, and it's only really been as impact investments become more widely accepted in conventional markets that that's opened up space for Islamic social finance to really blossom um, beyond or and blossom and, and integrate into the wider financial uh, ecosystem. And I think that's, you know, there's, there's lots, I think with what I had mentioned about how Islamic finance had the choice early on about what's the most effective way to create commercially viable and truly compliant financial institutions. Uh, that didn't take place in a vacuum and it didn't take place the same in every single country uh, that has a large and vibrant Islamic finance system. But for a long time, there was always a tension there between 
the higher objectives and the commercial, uh, the immediate commercial challenges. Islamic finance institutions tend to be smaller uh, and competing against larger, more established institutions. Always, there was always a pushback of we should move more towards uh, the objectives, the Makassid focused uh, outcomes uh, versus the we should manage the realities of being smaller players in a in a market competing against better resourced competitors and that was always the back and forth um, and i think that what's it's it's kind of like it, in that in that environment every every problem that was tackled from an impact perspective ended up going back to the same two tools either how do you make an Islamic bank do this? Or how do you make a Sukuk that does this? Um, and that, that's a really hard, that's a really hard thing to shoehorn into a solution to bit much bigger and more complex problems with just a couple, couple tools that are dominating uh, the toolkit. Um, but that wasn't ever always, that wasn't ever the, entirety of of Islamic social finance uh, tools available um, but it was people weren't thinking about how can what's the role for zakat uh, in supporting this or sadaka in underpinning blended finance or guarantees to unlock uh, new sukuk structures uh, or combinations of of multiple uh, different approaches or how does can we use technology to make to make these things things operationally possible that were just theoretical uh, theoretical hopes uh, five or ten years ago? But it, it was a lot of that didn't come into the to the mainstream really in Islamic finance until it had also in the conventional side. So it's that sort of dependence on the the wider the wider financial ecosystems and what it's capable of, what the regulations are able to do, what the the, the banks and the uh, all of the service providers in the catering to the financial sector as a whole, uh, what all the stakeholders are interested in. Once that started to be thinking around more around impact, then it seems like there's been more experimentation also in Islamic finance to see what all these uh, different tools of Islamic finance, of Islamic social finance, of blended finance, uh, using some from each of those, uh, what can that accomplish? Uh, but it's it's largely still been, with with some exceptions, it's been a, there's been a lot of creating replications of what's happening in impact investment within Islamic finance. Uh, but there have been some really great um, new examples uh, that are trying to break break the mold, use the use Islamic social finance in a way that uh, that doesn't that returns something to the to the broader impact and responsible finance market. Um, and I think that's that's been one of the most most promising. Uh, parts of the last couple of years is to see to see 
non-Islamic institutions, international organizations seeing possibilities uh, in Islamic social finance uh, and seeing it uh, beyond seeing it as a as an expansion of the the possibilities uh, for impact investing how does rfi show up and what have some of your projects promoting greater connectivity between impact funds and islamic finance practitioners look like when rfi was set up in 2015 it there really wasn't wasn't much of a market there explicitly focused around the intersection of responsible finance. So for the first, if at the start, we really had to, it was just about the building awareness that, you know, that responsible finance and Islamic finance are philosophically aligned and capable of working together. Uh, and so we've had some, we've had various um, engagements through our, through our events and through other uh, bespoke meetings and, and, uh, and groups to connect, to create that connectivity between people, uh, f- not outside of the Islamic finance, uh, world working in impact investing who are curious about, have seen, have seen something and, and identified the possibility, but then how do they, how do they learn more about, about Islamic finance and its capabilities to, to be possible for what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, and so that's been, there, there've been a, f- a few cases where we've you know been asked, asked to provide uh, information, uh, to provide connectivity uh, that has, that's really, I think shown the, cause we, we uh, yeah, we've provided more connectivity with the impact than directly working on it ourselves. We've been, you know, more focused on coming from the the ESG perspective. What has been the appetite for ESG and climate-related finance in Islamic markets, and what role, if any, will this play in the fight against climate change? And it, it would also be great to understand if you've seen any shift in ESG momentum after RFI has stepped in and engaged with some of the actors in this space. We started out, and there was really very, very little uh, uh, awareness about ESG in within Islamic finance and in many Islamic markets as well. Uh, and that we've the the kind of the leader in that in terms of <clears throat> institutionalizing uh, an approach to ESG is really, and the one that's probably the furthest along today is is been Malaysia, uh, and that came from the direct intersection of uh, Islamic finance uh, and ESG with the value-based intermediation framework. Uh, but even that framework has, has evolved over time. Uh, and I think we've, we've kind of gotten to see that process uh, come full circle with the, uh, the financial sector blueprint that Bank Negara Malaysia put out uh, recently, uh, which really, I think, crystallized how how Islamic finance can approach ESG. Uh, but uh, the initial idea from VBI was that, that Islamic banks would be ideal testing grounds for uh, integrating ESG within a context of an Islamic market because of the alignment of their 
uh, of their objectives um, with ESG uh, based on their Sharia compliance. Um, and it was what we what we found in our experience uh, with making comments on uh, proposals from regulators working with Islamic financial institutions was that it was it was almost asking too much to make the leap from conventional or competing with conventional institutions uh, on the on the economic uh, on economic grounds to then shifting to be an impact focused uh, financial institution that it was missed there was missing some basic capabilities around uh, integrating ESG uh, and what we've seen in the intervening period uh, in Malaysia and it's starting to happen in other places more recently particularly since uh, the coronavirus uh, the COVID-19 pandemic um, and interest in ESG globally has really taken off uh, but what what we saw was that there is kind of three stages. There's the uh, first stage of recognizing that there's this possibility of responsible finance should include Islamic finance and it should be relevant for Islamic markets. The second phase and the phase that I think was missing in the when VBI was first launched but was later added. Um, through their successive uh, development of the, the strategy document and the assessment framework, uh, was a base level of capacity to understand that uh, financial institutions should care about ESG for, if no other reason, for the impact on uh, their finances in the future. The environmental issues, uh, whether it's climate change or whether it's other, other pollution impacts, their ability to remain uh, remain financially healthy in the future, and for their customers to repay financing, uh, if they're not engaged in good governance, uh, in good governance of the company, of their environmental stewardship, uh, of their relationships with uh, with social stakeholders, then they're not going to be as healthy in the future, and that. In, endangers the financing provided by banks and investors. Uh, so building up that, that's kind of the an easy step to go from purely commercially focused organization to purely focused commercially organization that understands that short-term profit isn't, isn't everything they need to focus on. Uh, and by building up that capability, it also changes the mindset uh, to think about in strategy and planning um, that only no, growth in number of customers, growth in financing assets, those don't provide the foundations for future profits on their own without recognizing that there are other factors uh, interlinking into society and the economy and the environment that also are preconditions for Future profitability, um, and that I think that's a really important step for financial institutions and Islamic financial institutions to take as they're moving along their journey on responsible finance, because that provides the the basis and the foundation for for them to then think about how impact fits into their 
into their business. Uh, and it doesn't need to be only uh, a financial uh, perspective, but if they're not thinking about environmental and social issues on a day-to-day -day basis uh, as a part of their business, then it just becomes easy to push push impact off uh, into something that is just another CSR project uh, that is distinct from their business. Uh, and I think what the foundation of impact investment is the idea that those two are not, they don't have to be separate, that they're, they can be interconnected, that you can have have things that are that have positive impact uh, and have uh, that are financially sustainable. Uh, and so we've seen, as we've seen that that mindset of first the awareness builds up, and then base level ESG uh, experience builds up. That's where we. It's very early now, I think, in terms of the impact uh, focus, but. We've seen a, a multiplying of the uh, multiplying of the awareness on ESG across many Islamic markets. Malaysia was the the first one with that was growing as uh, as the VBI initiative was moving on, as the stock exchange was setting ESG uh, reporting requirements, uh, and now we're seeing that across lots of markets. All of the Gulf exchanges have signed on to the Sustainable Stock Exchange Initiative. Uh, Indonesia has issued, I think, three three years in a row uh, of green sukuk. Uh, there have been corporate green sukuk issuances in Malaysia. There's been sustainable. Uh, and what is sukuk. a sukuk for those that may not know? Oh, uh, sukuk uh, is a financing uh, that's done on a Sharia compliant basis. Uh, so it's not on a borrowing and lending basis, but it links the transaction links to an underlying uh, economic transaction or asset uh, in arranging a financing, and it's a it's similar to it functions similar to a, a bond. Sukuk market as a whole has has seen a lot more frequency of of issuance of green bonds and sustainable bonds. Uh, and SRI, SRI bonds and uh, ESG linked bonds, uh, 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 and it's it's now uh, expanding. Whether you're seeing it in a lot of lot more countries, um, where it was a couple of years ago, it was very uh, very limited uh, to mostly uh, Malaysia uh, with corporate issuances primarily for renewable power. Uh, and Indonesia on the sovereign level, an annual annual green sukuk issuance, um, and so as that's it's broadened out, uh, and sukuk have been uh, have been commonly uh, commonly used in by companies in Islamic markets uh, that are also that also have the option uh, for sustainable bonds or green bonds. And so there's been a growth kind of a both of both at the same time. Islamic finance hasn't moved moved forward just on its own. It's always been uh, somewhat reliant on the 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 financial sector development uh, in Islamic markets. And do you imagine this momentum and this interest in ESG from Islamic finance practitioners is likely to continue in the near future? 
I think it definitely is. Once you see the connection between environmental, social, and governance issues and uh, financial outcomes, it's it's hard to unsee it. And when regulators start to see it as they are now, uh, there have been various forms of taxonomies developed or in development by regulators in Malaysia and in Indonesia and in the UAE uh, and elsewhere. Once once that process starts to take hold, uh, it's it's impossible to to disentangle disentangle environmental and social issues from economic issues, uh, and it really just then becomes how quickly can the financial sector get up to speed on what it needs to do to understand uh, and translate data that's available, data that they have, uh, data that they need to start collecting into, into their business as usual. Uh, it, I don't think it's, it's not, it's not going to end up being sort of pushed off where there's a business department and a sustainability department. It's, it's, it has to be integrated and it is more and more becoming integrated. Um, but the, and there's, there's kind of endless possibilities in, in where it's going to go, but it really uh, depends on the on being uh, widely widely dispersed. The the knowledge about how it how environmental and social issues impact economic issues has to be has to be uh, built in. It can't be it can't be held it can't be just expected to be taken care of by a small small few of uh experts in sustainability it affects every every aspect of the of their business and <clears throat> and uh regulators are now and i think particularly on the on issues around climate change uh regulators are starting to draw outlines of where the regulation is going to cover uh, specific issues that have bigger relevance than just one financing or one counterpart or one customer, uh, and that's just adds another another area of uh, knowledge and experience and uh, expertise that an institutions have to build into their into their businesses. Are there any bodies that are collecting and documenting the data around? the financial benefits of socially responsible investments within the Islamic finance market? Most of the, most of the Islamic finance uh, market is using the same, same data around as their inputs uh, on sustainability. Uh, and the data that's out there is, is imperfect. Uh, and good data is no, or Imperfect data is no excuse to to delay action uh, because even the data that we have is is useful. Uh, and we've done a, a big quantitative study to look at sort of the, the impact, the uh, performance impact that comes from uh, from ESG uh, integration within the within the Islamic finance context, uh, and found that it doesn't. You can use the 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 data that your the ESG data can impact how you uh, how you make investments, uh, but that's also is going to be different if you're working with just a Sharia compliant universe. Um, 
what we found, for example, was that the overlay of just taking the best ESG stocks and the Sharia Sharia compliant companies and combining that to leave a smaller universe that meets both best in class ESG and Sharia compliant doesn't doesn't generally provide the best financial uh, returns. Uh, what we found was that the in particularly the the lower ESG scoring companies uh, and this was for developed markets for emerging markets the ESG screens it may act as a proxy for uh, companies that are that are better better managed uh, even where the where there's not specific environmental and social regulations uh, that they're taking best in class uh, approaches and they're getting ESG uh, benefits uh, as a result of that but, uh, but in developed markets where a lot of those environmental and social regulations are built into law and strongly enforced. So there's not as much variation between companies. Uh, it was actually on the lower end of the ESG spectrum where the Sharia screens provided more, more positive uh, impact. Uh, and it goes back to kind of what, are, what's the, what's the purpose of those, uh, those screens and what do they do in practice, and in in practice they they exclude companies that are that are that tend to be high more highly indebted. Uh, that's one of the large besides the sector exclusions for uh, for ethical reasons. The the biggest differentiator between Islamic screens and socially responsible screens is the exclusion of highly indebted companies, and those companies. Where they're highly indebted, they have a lower margin of safety. Uh, so if they get hit with an ESG crisis, they're more likely to to suffer more significant damage uh, financially uh, because they're less resilient companies. Um, and what we found, we found some some evidence of that that within the lower scoring, lower ESG scoring companies, the Sharia compliant ones did better. Um, and I think that's that's something. Uh, useful for Islamic investors thinking about incorporating ESG, but it's also has a relevance beyond of if you think about the the reason for that for why those screens were developed, it was to screen out companies that were paying a significant amount of interest because interest was is viewed as uh, as socially detrimental and an unjust relationship. And so these companies you're trying to screen out the ones that are uh, that are paying the most interest, so they're in the position to be most vulnerable to to creditors uh, treating them unfairly or unjustly. Uh, and companies that hit environmental and social uh, roadblocks that have a scandal around um, their what they're emitting, or they have a labor rights uh, issue, they don't have as much of a of a way to get through that crisis if they have a lot of debt that they have to repay. And they're also may have precipitated some of that crisis on their own because the higher debt load may push them to be more, uh, more focused on short-term profit generation, even if it comes at the expense of longer term, uh, longer term returns. 
Yeah, I, and I've really enjoyed reading some of your past reports on the unjust practices adopted by conventional financiers and how those practices are viewed by the impact investment space as well as Islamic financiers and, and just how those practices actually present an opportunity for these two markets to come together and create solutions that are actually the antidote to how current and traditional financiers are showing up in the market. And I'd love to understand if you have any new pieces of research that you plan to work on in the coming months or are intending to publish any new reports that others might be able to benefit from. I think one of the one of the uh, types of reports that we've done recently that we have a few more coming uh, have been the the finance emissions reports focused on Islamic markets on what, where in the financial sector are the risks of uh, emissions being financed. So if emissions became priced or became valued in the market as being a, a cost, which they, they are in social and environmental terms, uh, but they're not generally in economic terms, uh, would make the financial institutions more vulnerable, at which what parts of the financial uh, uh, sector would be most vulnerable? Uh, would it be the banks? Would it be capital markets? Uh, so we have a few more reports on that. Uh, some of them, uh, where the data is available, break break it down into conventional banks and Islamic banks, uh, because those banks tend to have different different types of exposures. Uh, to different sectors that have different emissions profiles. Um, and I think that's that gets back to kind of one of the one of the challenges we found is that you can't you can't look at Islamic finance in isolation. It contributes and is affected by what's happening in the broader ecosystem. Um, and and it can benefit and provide benefits when it's uh, when that uh, relationship is understood. Um, so we have that, um, and then we have a program that we're that in some ways follows this up. Um, is that we see uh, there's a big need for uh, financial institutions, including uh, fintech companies, to understand how responsible finance can benefit them, whether they're in Islamic fintech, whether they're conventional uh, fintech working in Islamic markets. Uh, but so we've uh, developed a global virtual innovation hub. Um, that we just recruited the first cohort for um, to help to help move faster through this process of learning about why uh, sustainability, responsible finance, and impact are important. And in order to to narrow narrow it down into something that's actually usable uh, for them, um, because I think that's what we've seen has been one of the big challenges over the past couple of years. Is there's so many the breadth of responsible finance and impact investing is so huge that a lot of institutions have trouble wrapping their head around what it means for them. And fintechs have even smaller uh, room to to work through that process because they have kind of that more more short term urgency to to grow and, and secure funding. And so we want to help them 
not have to spend as much time understanding how responsible finance impacts their business and can benefit uh, benefit them uh, from an earlier stage because that that puts them in a better spot with customers, with employees, uh, with investors, uh, with potential partners in the financial sector because uh, lots of fintechs partner up with uh, traditional financial institutions. Uh, so I think those those two are uh, some of the big ones we have uh, coming up. Yeah, really interesting and um, happy to link to some of those materials in the show notes as well. I'd like to close with one big question, Blake, and that is, how do you envision the Islamic finance and responsible finance markets shaping the next economy, especially after we're just recovering or are going through a immense financial crisis, um, especially due to the pandemic? And we're expecting to see a number of economic challenges coming up in the very near future. And as we rebuild the economy, it is those that are at the forefront of prioritizing people in a beneficial way and making and reforming systems so that they are more just and more equal and more inclusive, especially to those that are marginalized and excluded from traditional economic systems. And it would be great to understand how you see these markets playing a role as as we rebuild our future yeah i think uh it seems to be on the the top of everyone's mind that there needs to be a greater focus on purpose uh and i think where islamic finance really comes into that is uh having a consistent a well articulated focus and purpose uh and now developing the tools and the uh interest in using them uh to focus on kind of what's the what are we trying to do what's our what's our plan what's our uh desired outcome and i think like you said it's it's really we need to focus on uh things like social stewardship for uh marginalized people and and those who are often excluded from um the economic systems uh environmental sustainability uh, especially where it feeds back into uh, impacting the lives and livelihoods of of people, uh, and it always ends up being the uh, most excluded populations that bear the brunt um, of things like climate change. That they had, they get least benefit from uh, the process of creating the problems, um, and so I think just making sure that they're remains this consistent focus that's not uh, sort of one-offs or occasionally that we go back to and reflect on these, but they become really core parts of why financial systems operate and economic systems operate. They should be operating for the benefit of, uh, of everyone and of our common environment. Uh, and those and we should always be reflecting on how how those two things are interlinked. Uh, and I think that might have been a, a more abstract concept before the COVID nineteen pandemic, but I think the the relationship has become much much more uh, understood about how intertwined these things are, 
with climate change being one particular set of relationships uh, where humanity is affecting the environment and that is affecting humanity, uh, but broader uh, natural capital and diversity, uh, biodiversity, uh, we've seen more and more grappling with how do you put a value on uh, on things uh, because otherwise all we put a value on is things that we can measure in in dollars we don't and we implicitly put a zero value on all the things that sustain those uh, other sources of uh, of food of uh, materials and inputs for everything we produce and use uh, and the the water we drink and the air we breathe uh, they only get valued in in the way that we use them and that that has led us to uh, create systems that don't don't protect and preserve uh, sustainable uh, sustainably uh, all of the things that we need to create any uh, any future uh, uh, economy every every everything that we put on our forecasts for that create value for companies and for uh, financial institutions and in financial markets is dependent upon social uh, relationships, environmental sustainability, uh, and and things that we just that we don't that we syst- uh, systematically undervalue uh, in the way that the economy is oriented. Uh, and I, so I think that responsible finance really needs to continue to embed uh, this mindset change that we need to recognize how inter interconnected the environmental, social, and uh, economic aspects of our lives are. I really loved how you just framed that. And it's it's very true. I mean, all of these different features of how the economy functions, but also how these little aspects of our lives are interwoven and interconnected with the economic functions. And it's going to be the responsible finance space that's going to distribute capital to resource the solutions that are going to address some of these challenges that have impacted so many lives in in such a negative way. So I really hope we're able to get there and achieve what you just described. Thank you so much for the wonderful work that you're doing at RFI to uh, achieve um, achieve this dream and, and build a brighter future for so many. What are some ways our listeners can get involved with your work and how can they connect with you? The easiest way for people to connect with us is uh, on our website, uh, rfi-foundation.org. Uh, we have a free weekly newsletter um, that provides updates on everything that we're doing, uh, as well as commentary and analysis of current events in responsible finance and Islamic finance. Uh, we are active on social media, on tw- Twitter and LinkedIn, um, and we have uh, an emissary network of people professionally and personally active in responsible finance. Uh, that there's more information about that on our website. And they were, I will add, I'll give them a shout out. Uh, the emissary network uh, was largely responsible for uh, helping to uh, create the vision for the Global Virtual Innovation Hub program. Uh, to help fintechs and responsible finance. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Blake. Thank you. Anywhere, anywhere. 
Thank you so much for listening. A special thank you to Rohan Single for editing this episode. To ensure you are notified of future conversations on impactful strategies and organizational practices, please subscribe or follow Reinvision Business on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or something else. If you enjoyed our episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your community so that others can learn about the incredible work that so many people are stewarding to build a better future for us all. You can connect with us and learn more about our work at www.theupperfect.com. Thanks again for listening.